We're still in this topic of uh, in the likeness of his resurrection. And today we're going to be dealing with the topic, why holiness? Why holiness? Well, you know, uh, let me use this analogy as we start out here. You know, it's one thing for you parents um, to tell a child not to do this or that. But it's another level of parenting entirely to tell your children why not to do this or that. Like, for example, um, if you say, don't touch that hot stove, it's better parenting if you say, don't touch the hot stove because you could get burned and get hurt, right? So this morning, I just felt like the Holy Spirit wanted me to, to, to deal with this question, why holiness? So our master text is 2 Timothy, so go ahead and turn there if you will. Um, and also, before we read this, I also just want to say this, I... <laughs> I want to say how pleased I am that you're still here. You know, after uh, seven weeks of wading through some uh, pretty heavy stuff. And, and I think that you all that are still here are like Donna and me. You know, we appreciate it when a pastor is very forthright and steps on our toes a little bit. We like that stuff. You know, sometimes we'll, in the past we've come away from teachings feeling like we had a black eye and got our toes stepped on and, and got... Slap upside the head a little bit, figuratively speaking. We're like, yeah, bring it on. We like that. I mean, we like to be challenged. We like to have areas of our lives exposed where we need to step it up. And so we appreciate when a pastor is forthright and speaks the word of God, even when it's uncomfortable. It reminds me of an Andy Griffith episode, actually, <laughs> where little Opie got in a, in a fight with a bully. And uh, face down the bully and, uh, you know, put his activity to a stop. And in the process, he gets a black eye. And uh, his father, Andy, wanted to put, you know, a piece of steak over the eye to take the burning out of it and to reduce the swelling. He's like, no, I, I like this. He was admiring his little trophy of a black eye in the mirror. And that's kind of like what I think some of you are like. That's definitely the way that Donna and I are like. It's, it's like when we get beat up a little bit in a sermon, it's almost like a trophy. It's like, thank you, Lord, I needed that. Yeah. Right? So I appreciate the fact that you're still here after, uh, you know, all these weeks of, uh, you know, having a few toes stepped on, I'm sure. So um, I thought what I would do before we read our master text is since we've been through some tough sledding the last several weeks, I would start out with a little funny story. So this is kind of long, so I'm going to read it to you. This was a, a, um, a bagpiper writing about one of his experiences, and so I'm just going to read this to you. He writes this, as a bagpiper, I've played many gigs, and once I was asked by a funeral director to play a graveside service for a homeless man. He had no family or friends, so the service was to be at a pauper's cemetery in the Kentucky backcountry. As I was not familiar with the backwoods, I got lost, and being a typical man, I didn't stop and ask for directions. I finally arrived an hour late, and I saw that the funeral had come and gone, the hearse was nowhere in sight, and there were only the diggers and the crew left. They were eating lunch. I felt badly and apologized to the men for being late. I went to the site of the grave. I looked down and the vault was already in place. I didn't know what else to do, so I started to play. 
The workers put down their lunches and began to gather around. I played out my heart and soul for this man who had no family or friends. I played like I had never played before for this homeless man. And as I played Amazing Grace, the workers began to weep. They wept, I wept, we all wept together. When I finished, I packed up my bagpipes and started for my car. Though my head hung low, my heart was full. As I was opening the door to my car, I heard one of the workers say, Sweet Mother of Jesus, I ain't never seen nothing like that before. And I've been putting in septic tanks for 20 years. <laughs> he never did find the gravesite, did he? All right. Praise the Lord. I felt like you deserved that uh, little laugh, a little lighthearted uh, opening to our service, uh, to our teaching today after uh, waiting with me for these last several weeks through some t- pretty tough sledding. So stand with me, if you will. And we're going to read our master text. Verse 20 in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Okay, are you all there? Okay, here we go. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes and some for ignoble, or that, another word for that is dishonorable. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, in other words, what is dishonorable, he will be an instrument for, no, for noble purposes, made holy and useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. Verse 22, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. And all God's people say, amen. Amen. Okay. Praise the Lord. All right. Well, I want to give you, um, once again, the whys of holiness. Why holiness? Why does God ask this of us? Well, we've talked about this first one already. On this first one, because God commands it. And really, honestly, that's where the issue should stop. I mean, God said it, it do it. It should, be, it should be a done deal right there. But God is like any good parent. He doesn't just say, do it because I said so. He says it because there's other benefits to us that we're going to talk about here in a minute. But this first one, because God commands it, really should be the crux of the matter Right there. So let's read this passage. 1 Peter 1, verses 15 and 16 says this, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. God wants us to emulate him. Amen? So uh, we've dealt with that several times, actually, throughout this series. So I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on that. And again, that's pretty self-explanatory. We are to be holy because God says it, period. But moving beyond that, there's several other reasons that I think will motivate you and inspire you why you should live in holiness. And so we have, I don't know, I didn't count them, six or seven of these. Uh, But the next one is this, because I want to be more effective for his kingdom. I want to be more effective for his kingdom. See, um, 
Well, let's go ahead and read this passage, and then I'm going to elaborate on this. Uh, and again, this is our master text, a portion of our master text again, so let's remind ourselves of this. A large house, and this is a different version than the NIV that I just read. A large house contains not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some indeed are for honorable use, but others are for common use. So if anyone cleanses himself from what is unfit, I like that wording, if anyone cleanses himself from what is unfit, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, and prepared for every good work. In other words, ladies and gentlemen, God wants his kingdom represented well. He wants his kingdom represented well. And that's why, by the way, we also are to obey another passage in the scripture that says to avoid the very appearance of evil. Even the very appearance of it, avoid that. Many years ago, I was, when I was in a different church, I was very motivated evangelistically. And it seemed like that God had granted me some interest and some talent in some you know, recording, um, you know, being able to you know, record um, certain evangelistic types of um, um, projects to put in people's hands, just recordings, you know, of my testimony or recordings of, you know, I did a project, gosh, I guess it was 20 years ago, called Why Some People Reject God in the Church. And it was just overcoming some of the obstacles, the intellectual obstacles that some people have to faith in God. So in that process, I asked a, a gal in our church who had a very nice radio voice. Do you know what I mean by that? Just a very smooth radio voice, and I recognized that in her. And I said, hey, would you come and help me with this recording and do like a, a little voiceover thing in this recording? And she, she said, sure. So um, I had this little recording device that I had in kind of a, a little side room in the church. So I was going to use that as my little recording studio. So I was going to bring her in and just record her doing her little part in that project. And you know what she did? I was, I was really encouraged and challenged by this. She said... Um, no, can we do it out here in the sanctuary? She wouldn't go in that little room with me by herself. And that was very honorable. To avoid the very appearance of evil. Now, neither one of us had anything in mind that was sinful, but she wanted to avoid the appearance of such. And I thought, hmm, I took note. Okay? So uh, in similar situations where I've been put in the situation that I put her in, I learned a lesson from that, and, um, and there's been occasions where my, the, the man that I work for in my, uh, my marketplace work has asked me to make a three-hour, actually a six-hour round-trip carpool with a female employee who used to work for us at the time, and um, I said, no, I'm sorry, I won't do that, and he said, excuse me? And then I explained why, and he said, oh, okay. And then I explained to her why I wouldn't do that, and she said, excuse me? And then when I explained it, she's like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. So, um, yeah, so sometimes you'll have to put yourself in a potentially uncomfortable situation in order to avoid the very appearance of evil, but think about it for a second. Well, let me just, okay, for some of you haven't heard this story before. I'm going to give you an example of when I didn't do it right. Um, so this was many years ago as well, and this is part of my learning process. So I was having lunch with a, a female client, and she was just a little bit younger than me and, and very pretty. And uh, so we were having lunch together, and I had all my stuff laid out on the table. It was a business lunch, 
Um, none of, I mean, she's a married gal. I'm married. We didn't have anything. You know, we weren't, nothing wrong was going on. Uh, but I put myself in a situation that didn't look very good. And so I, we were sitting in the back of the restaurant, and I was facing the door. This was up in Zionsville, by the way. And I don't know anybody in Zionsville except for this client. And um, lo and behold, I'm, I'm sitting in the back of the restaurant, and I see walking through the door a gal that goes to our church. And when she saw me, and she saw the woman I was sitting in front of, in front of with this beautiful red hair that wasn't Donna's hair, her eyes got that big. <laughs> she automatically assumed the worst, and who could blame her? I mean, here I am having a lunch in a different town, away from our town, with this pretty gal. What she's, what's she going to assume, right? So she walks up to us, and you can tell she's like falling, almost falling over herself, like, uh, hi, Andy, hi. Right? And she, she thought something was going on. And uh, so I introduced my client, and I made sure that she saw the stuff that was laid out on the table. This is a business meeting. And uh, then I called her later, and, you know, we had a laugh over it. Um, but I learned a lesson. Right? To avoid the very appearance of evil. Okay? So it's, it's sometimes it's not enough just to avoid the evil, to avoid the affair or whatever. You avoid the appearance of the affair. You avoid the appearance of evil. Does that make sense? Okay. So God wants his kingdom represented well is the point of this right here. Because I want to be more effective for his kingdom, therefore I walk in holiness. All right. We okay on that one? Okay, we got several here. We're going to blast through these. The next one, why holiness, is because sin will undermine my witness. Sin will undermine my witness. The scripture reference here is 2 Peter 2, verses 11 and 12. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. What's that mean? It means we don't belong to this world. We're just passing through. We're foreigners and exiles in this world. That's how we need to regard ourselves in this world. Are you like me? And when you see the, some of the stuff going on around, don't you feel like a stranger and an alien in this world? Man, I sure do. It's like, this place is not my home. I am passing through. So, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So, we want to represent God's kingdom well, and because sin will undermine my witness, and those two points are related. Okay, so I heard another story about a... Uh, I, I've read so many books. I've read dozens and dozens of books, so I don't remember the source of where this story came from. I might have heard it in a sermon. I may have read it in a book. I don't remember. But... This young man was dating this young lady, and uh, it, she came from a Christian family, and he met her father, who was an elder in their church, in, in the church that he served in, and uh, spoke some good wisdom into this young man's life. And um, so they got to know each other a little bit. Um, and then several months went by. He hadn't seen the girl that he was dating. He hadn't seen her parents for quite some time. And then he went into a barber shop and got his hair cut. 
And uh, as he was waiting there to get his hair cut, he actually saw that man, the, his girlfriend's uh, father, I guess he said he, was, he went into the barbershop wearing like a hat and sunglasses or something, and he, the, the man probably didn't recognize him. And when he came in, he, he noticed that on the coffee table, there were several magazines on the coffee table, and one of them was a Playboy, right there in a barbershop. And he saw that man, who was an elder in his church, pick up the Playboy and thumb through it a little bit and look, look at a uh, centerfold or two, and then put it back down. And he was going to say hi to him, but then after that, he was like, uh, maybe I shouldn't say hi to him right now. And so, but, so the, the point is, he did not represent the kingdom very well to this young man. Well, he didn't represent it well at all. And that sin that he just committed undermined his witness to that young man, didn't it? It undermined his witness. So once again, we want to avoid not only the evil, but even the very appearance of the evil. Amen. So sin will undermine your witness. That's another reason why we want to walk in holiness, and because we want to represent his kingdom well. The next one is because I love him and I want to please him. Right? If you love God, you want to please God. And Jesus said that in John 14, 15, which says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And in that same chapter, Jesus goes on to say, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and he will come to them and make our home with them. Ladies and gentlemen, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are most at home in a person who is honoring them and who is obeying the teachings of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is most at home with someone who is truly endeavoring and wanting to please the Lord. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Let's push on here. Another reason why holiness, because sin undermines my faith in prayer. Now, this is a big one. 1 John 3.21 says, If our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him the things we ask. And see, it builds our faith. We're, there's no impediment to our faith when we're walking in obedience to God. But when we are walking in disobedience, there are impediments to our faith. And so we have trouble believing God to answer the prayers that we prayed because our hearts are condemning us. When your heart condemns you, you have no faith that God's going to answer your prayers. So that's another reason why we endeavor to walk in holiness and endeavor to, to obey Jesus because we want to have results in prayer, right? We, that was two of you that agreed with that. We want to have results in prayer, right? Yeah, praise God. So that's why we stay away from the junk that will undermine. I mean, how many of you, look, we're all in the same boat. Let's just be open and honest with each other. I'm in the same boat as you are. I've had times before where I have just like, um, like vented my temper, as an example. Just like, I don't know, I had one of those weak moments, and I just like let it all hang out. Yeah. Right? Have you had those? Where just, just like you just puke on somebody, and just every single thing that you wanted to say, you no longer at that moment hold back from saying what you wanted to say. You're just like, bleh! all over the place. And then guess what happens? D 
do you come away from those episodes going, I'm so glad I said that, I told that person a thing or two. No, if you love God, here's what you do. Why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why did I just give in to my flesh like that and just let my flesh dominate me for that moment? Why? See, see, a, a true child of God, when you sin, especially when you sin badly, you get no joy out of it. That's right, you get no joy out of it. I mean, because the Holy Spirit's convicting you now, and your own heart condemns you. And so therefore, when you try to go to pray, oh, guess what that sneaky devil does? I hate his guts. He'll lure you in, lure you into that sin and get you to take the bait. And when you take the bait, then you try to go to prayer and he whispers in your ear, you shouldn't go to prayer because God's not listening to you because you're a vile sinner. You're probably not even saved. He'll try to make you believe that God doesn't want to hear from you. Or if he does even want to see your presence, you better grovel in the dust for the next, you know, 30 weeks or so. But see, that's not the heart of God. That's a total lie. The faster you run to God after you blow it, the better. A lot of us believe, okay, I just need to, I need to just like separate myself from God for a little while and, and let him cool off. That's not the heart of God. The faster you run to him, the better after you blow it. The faster you run to him, the better after you blow it. His grace is new every morning. His loving kindness is fresh each day. It's always, always available to those who take advantage of it. Praise the Lord. That's, a, that's good news right there. But again, this principle applies not because God is unforgiving, not because God is judging you, because your own heart will condemn you and Satan will help that process. Okay? If our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him the things that we ask. Why do we receive the things that we ask? Because we have confidence before God, which is another way of saying faith. Praise God. All right, let's push on to the next one. Why holiness? Well, because living in holiness is a blessed life, but sin is a setup. <laughs> it's a setup. Check out this little post here. For Satan knows what flavor of sin to bait his hook with. He knows what your weak area is. He knows what your so-called Achilles heel is. He knows what flips your switch. He knows what your particular sin nature likes. You know, <laughs> I heard um, Dr. David Brown. So I was listening to him talk one time, and he said that, you know, one day he was walking through the streets of New York and New York City, and uh, he said, you know, he was passing by a, a bar, and it was, a, it was a, a strip joint, but it was a male strip joint. It was for homosexuals. And he said he walked by that place and, and you know, he said, I, you know, that stuff doesn't tempt me at all. You know, I'm, I'm not, you know, I've never had a thought about being with a man or seeing a man in that kind of situation. I, that that doesn't, doesn't tempt me at all. But then as he's continuing to walk, he sees another strip joint and it's 
women. And, you know, with that temptation, it's a little bit different, isn't it? And he said to himself, it's just like the Holy Spirit said to him, you know, if, if, if Satan can get me to go in that bar with the women, and if he can get me to indulge in that sort of thing and just give into my flesh, eventually he might be able to get me to go into that other bar. And that's what he does with people. The more you sin, the more Satan pulls you in, and you start finding that you're doing things that you've never done before. You start dealing with temptations you've never dealt with before. I heard a pastor one time, a different pastor, say that he was counseling with a young man who had a pornography addiction. And he just couldn't seem to get past this pornography addiction. And this, this lust just dominated his life. And then one day, he started having sexual fantasies about men. And then he went back to his pastor and he, he said, Pastor, I mean, is he, now, he's, now he's a bit panicked. He said, Pastor, now I'm having sexual fantasies about men. See, the more you give in to something, the more perverse Satan wants to pull you into stuff that you never even thought about before. But the more you give in to this one area over here, the more Satan's going to draw you in little by little, degree by degree, until you're doing stuff you never thought of before. That's what he has in mind, just to take you deeper and deeper and deeper into perverseness and sin until he destroys you with it. Okay, so why holiness? Because living in holiness is a blessed life, but sin is a setup. Here's a couple of scripture references for this one. Proverbs 1.32, the waywardness of the simple. When it says simple, it means simple-minded. That's what that means. The waywardness of the simple will slay them, but the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me, wisdom, will live in safety. Whoever listens to me, wisdom, will live in safety. Proverbs 2, verses 7 and 8. He, God, is a shield to those who walk with integrity to guard the paths of justice and protect the way of his saints. Did you, did you get that? To protect the way of his saints when you walk with integrity. He's a shield to those who walk with integrity, to guard the paths of justice and protect the way of his saints. That's why living in holiness is truly a blessed life. Even though you make sacrifices on the, on the front end, on the back end, there's blessing. But if you give in to your flesh on the front end, there's curses on the other side. Curses on the other side. Last one. Why holiness? Because sin steals my joy. Sin steals my joy. Our scripture reference for this is actually taken out of Psalm 51. I'm going to read a little bit of that to you and then kind of talk about this one a little bit. Uh, this is a Psalm of David after he had sinned with Bathsheba and then he was brought to a place of repentance and he writes this. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving devotion, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me clean of my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. But look what he goes on to continue to say. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. See, if you read all of Psalm 51, that's a prayer of repentance after David had sinned with Bathsheba and months had gone by. And then the prophet Nathan comes to him and tells him a story, a little parable, that essentially shows him that you are the man who is guilty 
of great iniquity. And so David repents at that point, and later on he pens Psalm 51, which is his prayer of repentance before the Lord. And in that passage, he talks about when, um, when my sin was before me, and my, when my sin was before you, um, it was like my bones ate within me. I, didn't, I don't know if I'm getting the right wording there, because I, I don't have that on the screen, but... It's, it's like he was saying that, didn't my heart ache within me? Didn't my bones even ache? However he, he worded that. It was like, I didn't really have peace during that time when I knew that I'd sinned against you and I was trying to cover over my sin. I, did, I had no peace. So why holiness? Because sin will steal your joy. For the person that really loves God, that truly loves God, and you blow it, and you're living outside of what you know God's will for you is, you have no joy. You have no peace. You can't even enjoy it. And if you continue to live like that, and you continue to stiff arm the Holy Spirit, the Bible says that there is a line, we don't know where that line is, but there is a line where your conscience becomes seared as with a hot iron, and you can't even hear the convicting voice of the Holy Spirit any longer. And you do not want to get to that place. You do not want to get to that place. That's a very dangerous place for you to be in, because I do believe that we can cross over a line at a point where we're not even in the faith anymore. Now, now, I want to tell you something. I, I don't subscribe to the once saved, always saved doctrine. Um, but I do acknowledge this. If you ever get to the point where you walk away from the, your faith and you, you, you disavow God, you've got to work at that. If you're really in the faith, you've got to work at it to get to the place where you're ever outside of the faith. Now, the Apostle Paul, this is why I don't believe in one saved, always saved. The Apostle Paul, in the book of Galatians, wrote to the Galatians and said, um, who has bewitched you? And, and he said, you have, this is his words, you have fallen away from grace. Wow. That's a bad place to be in. If you can fall away from the grace of God, you've fallen out of your relationship with him. You've fallen out of that salvation relationship with him. The context of Galatians, Paul was writing to the Galatians and saying, why are you trying to mix in all these religious ceremonies to what Jesus already did for you on the cross? He said, if you're trying to add to the work that Jesus did on the cross, you've fallen away from grace. And when you read passages like that, you go, Oh, okay. It's possible, and I don't know where the line is. You don't know that where that line is either. That's why you don't mess with the line. Okay, over and over and over in Scripture, the Bible teaches us the, the perseverance of the saints. The perseverance of the saints. Over and over and over and over again. But if, if you're even slightly interested in serving the Lord, and you're, you're serving Him... You're making mistakes along the way. Maybe you're making a lot of mistakes along the way. But if you're serving him, no one can take your salvation from you. And God won't revoke it from you. The only time you can ever cause your salvation to be revoked is because you did it. You walked away. You stiff-armed the Holy Spirit continually until your conscience got seared as with a hot iron. And now you're not even walking with the Lord anymore. Okay, so that is possible. Don't mess with the line. Don't mess with the line. See, David messed with the line. David got to the point, I'm talking about King David, 
King David got to the point where he wasn't diligent anymore. He wasn't pursuing the things of God diligently anymore. And why was that happening? Because he was king now. Everybody dropped everything to serve him. And when David said jump, people said how high. People were honoring him. Life was comfortable now. He was out of the wilderness. The experience that he had lived in for just so much of his life. And now things were comfortable. And now he wasn't having to be as diligent anymore because things are so comfortable. And, and he's so prosperous and so powerful. And now he starts getting lazy. Now he starts getting lazy. And so in that state of spiritual laziness, he sees this beautiful woman and says in his heart, I want her, and makes arrangements for her to be brought to him. Now, not everyone would possibly agree with this. Some people would say that that was a mutual, consensual relationship, and some theologians say that David molested her, that it was not consensual. Regardless, it was adultery. Okay? Regardless, it was adultery. See, David's lack of watchfulness and lack of passion in pursuing the things of God, his lack of watchfulness dulled his spiritual senses. All that prosperity, not that God is against prosperity, but you better watch it. See, because the the Bible tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 8, when God was bringing the children of Israel into the promised land, he said, "You're you're getting ready to go into houses you didn't have to build. Goodly houses, it says, goodly or nice ones that you didn't have to build, nice vineyards that you didn't have to plant. See, he's bringing them to the the land flowing with milk and honey, a, a land of prosperity. And he said, it's my hand that has given you this wealth. I've given you the power to get wealth. But he went on to say, be careful, because once you receive and are living in this wealth, be careful that your heart doesn't become cold. He warned him ahead of time, be careful because your your heart may become cold and your heart may say, it is me who's given myself the power to get this wealth. And he said, don't forget your God. Because if you're not careful, your comfort and your prosperity can dull your spiritual senses and you get lazy and then you find yourself in a situation that David was in and now you're in full on sin and depravity. So be careful. Now, by the way, just a qualifying remark. I know a lot of people who are not prosperous, and they're hellions. So just because a person's prosperous doesn't necessarily mean they're out of the will of God. And just because a person is poor doesn't necessarily mean they're in the will of God. Okay? So just want to make that qualifying remark, okay? I know people in the church that are poor that just are, man... They make one dumb decision and one bad mistake after the other and, and are not following God diligently. So it goes both ways. All right. Okay, so then David goes on to write in uh, Psalm 51 in verse 17. He says this, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. What a wonderful promise, because you know what the word contrite means? It means to be deeply and humbly sorry and broken over your sins. And see, when you're like that, that gets God's attention. The sacrifices of God, in other words, he was saying that, Lord, if you read the context, he was saying, Lord, you don't care so much about you know, burnt offerings. That's what he was saying, if they're not brought with the right heart. 
what, what he was saying was, this is what you like, Lord. This is what you appreciate. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. Aren't you thankful for that? Amen. Hallelujah. I am too. I am too. So if you've blown it, well, you're in good company. I was telling a, 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 the meet and greet uh, group that we had this morning, I had a couple of gals, Amanda and Stacy who've not been coming here that long. I have a meet and greet with some of our newer people once in a while. And, and so uh, I, was, I opened up the meeting by saying this, and I hope that this gives some of you comfort, that I often say that I'm saved by grace and I'm a pastor by grace. Because I've blown it. I mean, you're, you're not, you know, the pastor that stands before you today doesn't have a perfect history. You know, I've got a broken history. And I've made bad mistakes even as a Christian. Uh, so I'm, I'm saved by grace, and I'm a pastor by grace, and you're in the same boat, okay? You're saved by grace. You continue to walk with God by grace, and when you repent, God's gracious to you. And this passage is true right here. A broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. He will not turn you away. He will not say, no, you've blown it too badly, too bad for you. But no, a broken and contrite heart he will never turn away. He will never despise. Hallelujah. Okay. I'm going to leave you on this note right here from Proverbs 29.6. I love this passage. Your sins will catch you, but everyone who lives right will sing and celebrate. Oh, I love that. Don't you? Yeah. See, so there's, there's benefits in living right. Um, when I look at my past life, and I know that many of you can relate to this, and, and I'll close on this note right here. When I look at my past life, you know, the, the Bible does say that sin is pleasurable for a season, for a season. But the end result thereof is death. The end result is death. So, so many of you can attest to that. You lived in sin most of your life, and you blew up many things in your life, didn't you? And so did I. But God. But God. <laughs> Hallelujah. So see, God, all God wants, especially for you young ones that are in the room today, God wants you to learn from the mistakes of people who have gone before you. And there's people in the room today that blew up their lives and are suffering the consequences of horrible, terrible decisions that they made, and now they're having to try to work their way out of that through the grace and the help of God. And God is gracious. He will help us to do that. But for you young ones, choose a life dedicated to the service of God now so you don't blow up your life later, okay? And you'll live a blessed life. You'll live a blessed life. And thank God, God got a hold of me at age 26. I could have done a lot more damage than I did, but he got a hold of me at 26, and I've been serving the Lord passionately ever since. And some of you that have come to the Lord later, and you have seen a lot of destruction in your life. Some of it was your own doing, decisions you made that caused destruction to come into your life. But God is gracious. He will take the very thing that the devil meant to destroy you and turn it around and work it for good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. Amen? Hallelujah. Stand with me, if you will. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Andy Robbins and Blessed Life Fellowship. 
For more teaching and ministry resources, go to the church website at www.blessedlifefellowship.org. Thanks for listening, and may God's grace and favor shine on you.